wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Thanks for listening. I'd love to connect with you on social media. You'll find links at bleedingdaylight.net. Please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Where do you turn when your life has been routinely punctuated by abuse and even your friends have ripped you off? Who do you trust? My guest today has replaced hurt with healing. Right from an early age, Stacey Diffendaffer had experienced a tremendous amount of pain and trauma. The events that caused that pain and trauma shaped her thinking and caused her to form harmful beliefs about herself and about others. Severe financial loss and serious health issues caused further heartache. Her book, Unconditioned Love, Healing Hearts and Minds in a Time of Conflict and Division, tells the story of her trauma and her healing. I'm so pleased that she's my guest today. Stacy. welcome to Bleeding Daylight. Thank you so much, Rodney. I'm so happy to be here. I know that one of the traumas that you experienced was when you were only 16, and I know we'll touch on that, but before we go there, tell me what life was like before that for you. How were your earlier years growing up? Well, I did have some adversity before then as well. There were times when I was pretty happy. I was kind of a a tough girl is how I would explain it. I grew up in a very small town and I had a lot of freedom to play and build. And I rode horses. I rode motorcycles when I was five, just pretty adventurous from an early age. I did also experience uh, some adversity even younger than 16. I had some sexual abuse before then as well with different people. So it sounds like it was a very tough time when you're trying to enjoy life and it sounds like you did some wonderful things with horse riding and motorbike riding and all <laughs> those things, but there, there was also this trauma going on. Did other people know about this or was this, as is so often the case, something that was hidden from most people? Right. It was hidden. Uh, these things happened from other children and uh, even adults. And I was raised to to be tough, you know, to just kind of brush yourself off and move forward. So I was under the impression that when I was hurt, it was best to just not really examine that, but to just move forward. So I didn't tell people about a lot of the hurts that I experienced. I just really buried them and tried to forget about them. And I did mention that at the age of 16, something horrible happened. Can you tell us as much as you're comfortable about telling about that time? Yeah, absolutely. I was on a date with a man. He was in college. I think he was probably 22 years old. I really, at that age, preferred to date older men. I was on a date with him. I really liked him. I knew him from work. He told me that he needed to pick something up from his dorm. So I went with him. I really didn't think much about it. 
in that dorm room, he raped me. I was numb at the time it was happening and just a little bit in shock. And when I left, I left alone and I I drove home to my parents' house and I just kind of thought, wow, that was it. This was supposed to be a big deal in my life and it was taken away from me. I didn't have control over it. And I allowed myself to feel that on the way home and, and I cried. And then when I got home, I decided that that would be the last time I would really think about it in that way. It was over and done with and that was that moving on. We hear often from survivors of sexual assault that there's a tendency to blame themselves, even though it's never their fault. Was that something that you dealt with or did you just manage at that moment to start shutting it down and and pushing it away? A little bit of both. I tried to believe that it really wasn't a big deal. In fact, part of me told myself that it was something that not necessarily that I, I wanted, I, I knew I didn't want it, but it was just, it, it, yeah, it's really hard to explain. I kind of just told myself it was just a part of a date almost, but there was shame that I, I believed that what happened was my fault. I really think that there is a sort of grooming, I would say, that, that our culture it does. You know, we tend to tell women, especially that if something happens to them, that there are a lot of different reasons that they allowed it to happen, that it was their fault. I believe that women really do carry that. And I did. I believe that if I hadn't have trusted him, if I hadn't have gone into his dorm room, then it wouldn't have happened. So it's my fault rather than, you know, placing the blame on him and his actions. I really did take that on myself. And I I didn't realize how harmful that was at the time. Do you think that many men understand that constant vigilance that most women have to be on to to be on the lookout for things happening around about them and for the the kind of sexism that is displayed for the entitlement that a lot of men tend to display? Yeah, I, I don't think that men fully grasp what's what's happening. I, I definitely don't think they realize that women are taught to take the blame and the fault when they're attacked. I think that once women finally get to the point where they realize that it's either that, you know, be a victim or it's have the mindset that men can't be trusted and then they switch over. I don't think that men realize that when women switch over to I can't trust men, that that is a result of being hurt and not feeling like we really have another choice because of the dynamic that's set up. So it and it's harmful for all of us. And that sense of entitlement continued to play on. I know you even lost a job because of it. Tell me a little about that. I was 21 years old when I got a job at a search engine optimization company. The CFO of the company got to know me at work and we became friends. We started hanging out outside of work. This went on for months. I thought he was a really nice guy. 
one day I told him that I didn't think I was going to be able to pay my bills that month. And I was really worried. I wasn't asking for help, but I was confiding in a friend. He told me that he would pay my bills that month if I gave him a sexual favor. And I told him, no, don't worry about it. I'll figure something out. He stopped talking to me and I was let go from my job. And this is the sort of thing that just seems to continue to happen, even though we seem to be in this new generation where we start to actually call out this sort of behaviour. I know that this was some time back, but these are the things that seem to still go on today unchecked, don't they? Yeah, I do believe that they are. I, I think things are getting better, but I think that like everything, this is politicized for one thing. And so it's kind of become an us versus them. Unfortunately, I think that politics tends to sway how we believe about a lot of different things. And on top of that, it's hard for us to understand experiences that we don't experience. So I think that even women who have never experienced sexual trauma or prejudice have a hard time understanding that this happens. We tend to think if it didn't happen to me, it doesn't happen. So even women have a hard time believing that this happens so often. Is that hard to take when that sort of narrative comes from women, when it's actually been proven that the vast majority of women who make claims of assault are actually telling the truth. And we always hear people say, oh, yes, but they could be making it up. And and there have been some cases of that. But the vast majority have been proven to be telling the truth. How hard is it when, when women don't believe each other? It is hard. I think for me, it's it's just equally as hard for when women don't believe us as, as men. I think about the women that do come forward and how they are once again victimized. You know, people say that they're liars and that's just another form of assaulting somebody in a way, you know, it's assaulting their character. And it's one of the hardest things to do, especially knowing that you're going to be looked at this way. And I think what I would just love for people to understand is that we as women know that when we come forward and say these things, that we're putting our character and our livelihood even at stake by saying this. So it's not something that we do just to spite people or just to uh, manipulate or get our way because really we understand that we're going to get more backlash than anything else. I know that there were other incidences of of assault or, or almost assault, but there are other things going on in your life as well. And I believe that a supposed friend actually took a large sum of money from you. What happened in that instance? Yes, I entered into a business deal with a friend. It was a a real estate investment. I trusted him and I didn't do what I needed to do to protect myself. I was the one with the money and he had the connections. I went ahead and wrote him a check for $25,000 and he just cashed it and kept the money and I was unable to recover that money. 
It's pretty hard when those that call themselves friends do that sort of thing, but there seems to be this common theme of it's men that are taking advantage of you so many times, and surely that starts to change your mindset about all men. Once it happens enough, we start to see a pattern. It's normal to notice patterns. That's how we protect ourselves. If we burn ourselves on the stove and if we burn our tongue on hot chocolate, we start to see a pattern. Things are hot and they burn us. So we should be cautious around those things. But when it comes to people and we start to categorize people into bad or a threat, that becomes a problem because now it really starts to to mess with our heart and our mindsets. That's what happened to me. I think it was unconscious. I didn't say to myself, men are bad or men are a threat. But what I did was I started to become really angry and bitter and fearful. And that came across in how I treated people and especially men. When I was in a conversation with a man, I would just be really cynical or I would make jokes at their expense and just kind of put them down. And that should have been a clue to the fact that I was actually categorizing men. But unfortunately, that hurt me more than anybody. It just started to eat away at my heart and my relationships with other people. And that sort of categorizing other people, it's not just women against men, men against women, but we see that more and more, this this strange tribalism, don't we, of an us and them, and we paint whole swathes of people one way, and we lose the ability to, to really discern what's happening for those people. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think we're seeing it more and more. It's happening on so many different levels that we feel like we need to choose sides, whether it's politically or with social issues, race, gender. There are so many different ways. And I've actually noticed in society that when people haven't chosen a particular side, that they're almost viewed badly, that people start to judge them for not standing up for something instead of just having a a curiosity about things and continuing to want to learn. I believe that that's where humility lies, is when we realize that we actually don't have all of the answers and we haven't experienced all that there is to experience. So we do need other people and that's how we continue to learn and grow. And we need to be learning to become maybe not comfortable, but okay with the messiness of not agreeing with everyone, don't we? (laughs) That's right. And I believe actually that we can, you know, it's those disagreements where we can learn and actually draw closer together when we do it the right way. I am seeing a lot of separating right now, and that doesn't help us. But when we come together and we have disagreements with respect and love, when we care about people, 
more than we care about changing them, then that's where we can have these discussions where we do disagree. But in these discussions, we'll be able to share our experiences rather than telling people what to believe. I think, and I know from experience, because I have a great group of friends who I practice this with often, but you know, we're able to have those discussions where we come from different opinions and just offer our opinion and through a story of experience. In that way, we're able to learn from each other and to appreciate that even though I may still disagree with my friend, I can understand now why they may believe that. Coming back to your story, and you're still at quite a young age, at 24, you're you're building up an insurance agency from the ground, it's going well, and then what happens? Then I became so sick that I was unable to work. I was diagnosed with a chronic illness called fibromyalgia. Because I wasn't able to work, I lost everything. I lost my home, my business, my car, absolutely everything. And it was, it was really hard and really scary. I, there were days when I wasn't eating. I didn't have enough to eat. And I was absolutely positive that I would become homeless. And what's going on as far as relationships are concerned in your life at this stage? Thankfully, before I actually lost my house, it had been in foreclosure for months, I met the man who would become my husband. So it was this really strange time because on one hand, it was I was going through the worst thing I had ever gone through. And on the other hand, I was madly in love with this man. And so I was just in euphoria. So uh, it was a really strange dynamic, but uh, we actually got married. It was about the time that we got married that I became even more sick. I was bedridden. I couldn't take care of myself very well. I spent most of my time in bed or on my recliner. My husband had to work out of town every other week. So he would come home to a house that was a mess. And so was I. I had severe depression. I cried constantly. I felt absolutely hopeless. And I really wanted God to just end my life. That was my prayer every day. Just God, heal me miraculously or take my life. And I had severe anxiety. I had panic attacks constantly. And I was just miserable. It was every day was was absolute torture. My poor husband didn't know what to do. He was miserable and he felt helpless, but he was also becoming very angry because he didn't want to be in the situation. And he didn't understand that, you know, I looked fine. So why was it that I couldn't do anything with my life? He wondered if I was just lazy but he didn't understand it and he resented me for it. So he made that very clear to me. He would tell me, 
you know, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want this life. And I was terrified that he would leave me at any minute. You mentioned that you had this ongoing prayer of God, either take my life or give me miraculous healing. Where did God figure in your life at this stage? I had always been a Christian. I was raised a Christian. I talked to God a lot. You know, a lot of it was when I needed help, but I actually talked to God quite a bit. But I still had these mindsets that were really so far from God's truth for me. I think that it's really common to believe that when we're saved, that we are also transformed. And for me, that was not the case at all. In fact, I was going in the opposite direction down the wrong road. But it was during that time that I decided to read my Bible from the very beginning, just kind of, you know, Genesis onward. And I came to the point where I read about how Moses had asked God to reveal himself to him, to, you know, reveal his glory to him. And he did. And I thought, wow, is it possible that God could love me that much? And so that became my new prayer. God, reveal yourself to me. And he did. It was amazing. All of a sudden, I kind of was just guided into watching these documentaries about diet and health. And I started to change my diet and eat better. And then I realized this is working. And so I studied natural medicine and I stopped taking the 13 medications that I was on and instead started taking some supplements. And I started to gradually heal. I I still had a lot of health issues, but now I wasn't bedridden anymore. I was able to exercise for about 15 minutes a day. And I know that that was God revealing himself to me. And how's your relationship going at this stage? As you're starting to get better, is your relationship still suffering? What's going on there? Yes, it was starting to get a little bit better because I wasn't so sick. We started to become a lot closer But now we had this strange dynamic that one minute we were holding hands and just really starting to feel that that deep love for each other again. And the next minute we were having these terrible, terrible fights. So it it was just uh, extremes, hot and cold. What was the thing that started to turn things around to get you to the point where you are these days? Thankfully, my husband and I found this program called Celebrate Recovery. We were in church when it was being advertised as one of their programs. It's a 12-step program that's Christ-centered. Most 12-step programs say that it's, you know, a higher power. In this case, it was our higher power was Jesus Christ. So we went through this one year intensive program where we met twice a week. We each had a sponsor. Through this program, we were able, well, I'll speak for myself. I was able 
to forgive all of the people who hurt me and release that chronic fear and anger and the need to try to control people and situations. And I was able to stop running from the pain. Most of us end up in these programs or need to be in these programs because we're trying to either numb pain or run from it instead of facing it, which is really scary thing to do. But because I was able to face it and take it to God, he healed me through it. And I'm just so grateful. It's been absolutely life-changing for me. We know that forgiveness isn't the same as just pretending that something hasn't happened. There's actually a transaction that goes on in, in yeah. forgiving someone. Was yeah. there ever an opportunity to go back to some of those people who had perhaps assaulted you or, or ripped you off in the past to, to talk to them and, and to offer them that forgiveness? No, uh, there wasn't. But what I did was write them a letter, uh, you know, a letter that I would never send. Through writing that letter, that was really just helpful. It helped me to feel as though I was talking to them and, and offering that forgiveness. And that obviously would help you change your mindset towards those people who had hurt you so deeply. Yeah, I, you know, I started to realize that although what they did was still very wrong, I understood that they too developed harmful mindsets because of the pain they experienced or the culture that brought them up. There was a reason that they did what they did. In a way, there's there's an innocence there, not an innocence in what they did, but an innocence in the fact that they were at one point that young child who had something happen to them and that set them on a course of having false mindsets about themselves, about God, and about other people. There's certainly a great narrative throughout Scripture where several times, and, and some would say it's a distilling of the, the Ten Commandments, where we're told to throw everything that we have at loving God through our, our mind, soul, body, what, whatever we have, we throw that at loving God, and then we love our neighbours as we love ourselves. Is this the sort of thing that has helped you to come to that point, to, to actually see those people as your neighbours rather than the other? Yes, definitely. In fact, everything I've gone through has helped me to have a compassion for not only the people who have been victimized, but also for the people who have caused the harm because I have caused harm because I was hurt and now I understand why. So I'm able to see everybody really at, as myself. I've experienced a lot and so now I can and look at other people and and think, yeah, I've been there. I, I know what's going on. And it is hard. It's really, really hard. But one thing that God showed me is that if all I can see is sin and fault in other people, I'm not going to be able to see him, to see the solution. And if all I'm doing is pointing at what's wrong in people, I'm not going to be able 
to point them to the solution, which is Jesus. And that is where we have freedom and abundance and healthy mindsets. What does life look like for you now? Now I am actually, I'm an author of a book. I am married to a wonderful man, the same man. Uh, In a way, we've both transformed and our marriage has transformed completely. Uh, We are just so happy and we know how to communicate with each other. That is another thing that that program really helped with is to learn how to truly listen as a way to understand, not wait until a person is finished talking so that we can make our point. So that's helped our marriage tremendously. And I am an advocate both in my book and my communication for loving people without conditions. When we're hurt, we start to place qualifications on people and think, I'm only going to truly love you if you agree with my opinions, if you think what I think, if you look the way I do, or if you even buy the way I do. You know, we look for people who are like-minded because they seem safe. But I am advocating for loving everybody without conditions. Jesus asked us to love people the way he loves them. And that is sacrificially. He didn't spend time with people who were getting it right. He spent time with people who were lost and hurting. And he developed connection first through love. And then he pointed them to the right way. So that is my hope for everybody, that we can develop a community of compassion and grace and love and connection. You mentioned your book, and I did mention that in the introduction, that it's called Unconditioned Love, Healing Hearts and Minds in a Time of Conflict and Division. I'm wondering after you've waded through all the stuff that you've been through, when you've gone through all the pain and you've found that healing in Jesus Christ, you've found it through the Celebrate Recovery Program that points you to Jesus, one would think that maybe you just sort of think, okay, that's in my past, I'll move on. But you've decided to actually write a book about it. What was it that caused you to say, I need to write this down for others? Well, you know, it was really just this constant, it was twofold. One was a constant pain. (laughs) I was continuing to feel pain when I would watch the news and see people you know, see the conflict and division and separation in so many different ways. And I see that it's becoming popular to drive the conflict in media and in politics. And it's, it just, it hurt my heart so much because I've been there and experienced what that division, isolation, and separation does to relationships. And I know that it's destructive. It destroys. And now I'm seeing it everywhere in our society. And every time I do, my heart is so heavy because I know that 
on an individual basis, it is hurting us so much and it's separating us from God's truths. So there was that. And I just felt this constant nudging from God that, you know, you have been through this. I have allowed you to walk through this so that you can share with others the healing that I have given you and point them in the right direction. That is why I wrote this book. And I can tell you that it has been part of the redemption that God has given me for all I've been through. Seeing people start to have those aha moments of, wow, you're right. I've been I've been withholding love from this particular group. You know, I've been really angry with them and kind of feel like they're my enemy. And, you know, I do feel like I need to take that to God. And when I see that or hear of people uh, healing from their own trauma, that is so redeeming. And God really has redeemed all of the pain that I've been through in so many different ways. And I'm just so grateful for that. It's, it's been a huge blessing for me. What has been some of the feedback that you've received from the book, from those who have had the opportunity to read through it and reflect on their own pains? I have had a lot of people. Well, I I had one particular person tell me that he realized that he was really angry with a particular political party and and he's actually a, a pastor and so that has been keeping him from you know really stepping into the fullness that God has for him. Another person told me that he realized he was actually holding a grudge against a particular, profession, people who were in the same profession as him, and that he needed to take that to God and really figure out where that was coming from so that he could just, again, find freedom. These things have a way of controlling us. We think that we're controlling things, but when we have these realizations, we realize that these things have actually controlled us and our perceptions, they've skewed things. And is there a dawning realization for some of these people that this sort of division is actually brought about by an enemy, that we do have a real enemy who is trying to cause division? Yes. Yeah. You know, that's, that's definitely something that I talk about in my book from the very beginning of time with the story of Adam and Eve. When I read that, I see it as Satan's, he didn't attack us in the way that we kind of think of as being attacked. He worked to divide us from God and from each other. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Adam and Eve had the opportunity to walk in the garden and to tangibly experience God, to talk with him and hear him. And, you know, we still have that opportunity through the Holy Spirit, but it is not the same. There was a division there. And there was a division a little bit between Adam and Eve. Adam blamed Eve. And so I I address that in my book that the tactics of 
Satan are to get us to blame each other, to separate from each other, to use shame as a method to try to change people. And we know that there is no shame in the gospel, no shame. Uh, but all of these ways that we're trying to use to, to change each other is really just working on Satan's behalf to separate us. And that's a big call that most of us need to wake up to, that, that yeah. we're actually doing the work of the enemy when, when we actually fall for the divisions that are being set up in front of us. I'm wondering if people want to get a hold of the book, if people want to, to hear more from you, where's the easiest place for people to find you? Absolutely. My book is available on Amazon. And you can also read more about my book and see some of my blogs on my website, which is ownyourvictory.com. I'm also on LinkedIn under my name, Stacey Diffendaffer, and Instagram as well. Stacey, it has been a delight to chat to you. And I will put connections in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that if you go there, you'll be able to, to get to the website and, and buy the book. But Stacey, it's been so wonderful to chat to you. Thank you so much for your time on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.